Revelation chapter 15 and verse 1. Then I saw another sign in heaven, great and amazing, seven angels with seven plagues, which are the last, for with them the wrath of God is finished. And on to verse 5. After this I looked, and the sanctuary of the tent of witness in heaven was opened. And out of the sanctuary came the seven angels with the seven plagues, clothed in pure, bright linen, with gold, golden sashes around their chests. And one of the four living creatures gave to the seven angels seven golden bowls full of the wrath of God, who lives forever and ever. And the sanctuary was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from his power. And no one could enter the sanctuary until the seven plagues of the seven angels were finished. Then I heard a loud voice from the temple telling the seven angels, Go and pour out on the earth the seven bowls of the wrath of God. So the first angel went and poured out his bowl on the earth. And harmful and painful sores came upon the people who bore the mark of the beast and worshipped its image. The second angel poured out his bowl into the sea, and it became like the blood of a corpse, and every living thing died that was in the sea. The third angel poured out his bowl into the rivers and the springs of water, and they became blood. And I heard the angel in charge of the waters say, Just are you, O Holy One, who is and who was. For you brought these judgments, for they have shed the blood of the saints and prophets, and you have given them blood to drink. It is what they deserve. And I heard the altar saying, Yes, Lord God the Almighty, true and just are your judgments. The fourth angel poured out his bowl on the sun, and it was allowed to scorch people with fire. They were scorched by the fierce heat, and they cursed the name of God who had power over these plagues. They did not repent and give him glory. The fifth angel poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast, and its kingdom was plunged into darkness. People gnawed their tongues in anguish and cursed the God of heaven for their pain and sores. They did not repent of their deeds. The sixth angel poured out his bowl on the great river Euphrates, and its water was dried up to prepare the way for the kings from the east. And I saw, coming out of the mouth of the dragon, and out of the mouth of the beast, and out of the mouth of the false prophet, three unclean spirits like frogs, for they are demonic spirits performing signs, who go abroad to the kings of the whole world to assemble them for battle on the great day of the God Almighty. Behold, I am coming like a thief. Blessed is the one who stays awake, keeping his garments on, that he may not go about naked and be seen exposed. And they assembled them at the place that in Hebrew is called Armageddon. The seventh angel poured out his bowl into the air, 
And a loud voice came out of the temple from the throne, saying, It is done. And there were flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder, and a great earthquake such as there had never been since man was on the earth. So great was that earthquake. The great city was split into three parts, and the cities of the nations fell. And God remembered Babylon the great to make her drain the cup of the wine of the fury of his wrath. And every island fled away, and no mountains were to be found. And great hailstones, about 100 pounds each, fell from heaven on people. And they cursed God for the plagues of the hail, because the plague was so severe. This is the word of the Lord. I'm going to pray for Scott before he comes to speak to us. Let me pray. Our God and Father, we praise you as a speaking God, and we thank you that your word has real power, power to change, power to transform people. We ask that you be with Scott as he speaks now. Help him to clearly communicate your word to us. We ask that you be with us as we listen. Give us attentive ears and hearts to take and to apply these truths to our own lives. We ask all these things for our joy and for your glory. And we do so in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Scott. Our series as a church family in Revelation, listening to God's perspective on what is happening around about us today and God's perspective on what will happen in the future. Revelation describes it at the start of the letter, back in chapter 1, as the things that must soon take place. And as we looked at chapter 14 last week, Jay asked the question, what is this world coming to? And Revelation answers that question for us resoundingly. These are events that God promises will happen and then makes happen. At no point does control slip out of his hands. The very fact that he can authoritatively tell us what will happen, and then as we see it happening, well, that should give us a lot of confidence that he is in control. And as we made our way through the letter written to the churches that initially received this letter 2,000 years ago and throughout the generations, we have listened to God tell us what will happen. And we've understood that Revelation has a purpose. Revelation's intention is to keep us going as Christians, even when things are really tough. We've seen that God's people suffer, but God's power is supreme to protect, to sustain his church throughout it all. We've seen history and the days that are still to come depicted as a war. There is a conflict going on between Jesus, the Lamb, slain for his people, and Satan, the dragon who opposes Jesus. And whilst the forces that oppose Jesus and oppose his people may look and sound impressive, scary, intimidating, they are ultimately powerless, ultimately defeated. 
And the question that Revelation begs us to ask and answer is, who will we follow? Will we sing the song of the Lamb that we read last week? Great and amazing are your deeds, O Lord God the Almighty. Or will we jeer and taunt, instead bearing the image of Satan, bearing his mark? And last week we saw that this is the choice on which humanity divides eternally. Will we be in the first harvest we saw last week, where God's people are taken from the earth into God's presence, safe, secure, forever? Or will we be in the second harvest that we saw last week, where in his wrath God tramples the nations that have ignored him or oppressed his people? Humanity will not be eternally divided along lines of ethnicity, class, but will be eternally separated based on our response to Jesus. And so in our section this evening, in these chapters of Revelation, John shows us what awaits those that choose not to follow Jesus. John's vision introduces us to yet another series of seven judgments seen in seven bowls of God's wrath. And this time we see the full wrath, the full judgment of God on full display in what chapter 15 verse 1 describes as the last, for with them, with these bowls, the wrath of God is finished. See, God's wrath is is poured out to the point of completion on his enemies. But it would be good for us to remember throughout this section, as we study it together, the intention that Revelation has as a letter that we've seen already. It would be good for us to remember throughout this section that, as has been the case all along, all of this is written to keep the Christian going, to persevere, persevere in obeying the Lord, obeying his commandments, listening to his voice, and to persevere in sharing the gospel with others. See, Revelation 15 and 16 will help us to fix our eyes on the God that has rescued us from this very wrath that we deserve. It will grow us in our love and in our thankfulness for him. And it will grow us in our urgency that we need to have in sharing this news with others. There's an outline of where we're heading this evening on your service sheets, which you should have received when you came in. And if you're watching online, I think there should be a link to the service sheet below me somewhere, and you can click on that and see it there. The first thing for us to understand this evening is God's wrath is poured out on his enemies. God's wrath is poured out on his enemies. Each time we've seen a cycle of seven in Revelation, whether it was the seven seals in Revelation 6 or the seven trumpets in Revelation 8, the cycle of seven has begun with God. It's begun with a a vision of his throne room, That's where these judgments have originated. 
The seven seals and the seven trumpets have been a divine response from God as he sees and hears what's happening in our world today. And it's the case here again, except we begin at the sanctuary. So in verse 8 of chapter 15, the sanctuary is filled with smoke from the glory of God and from his power. And no one can enter the sanctuary. The entrance is is shut. It is blocked by the smoke of God's power, by the smoke of his glory. There's no longer access to his presence anymore. The day of his justice, the day of his judgment, the day of his wrath has finally come. And so he sends out his angels to judge the earth, to pour the bowls of his wrath upon the world. And so they're told, chapter 16, verse 1, to go and pour out on the earth these seven bowls. And this is a moment that has been promised since the beginning of God's history with his people. The the serpent who deceives, the serpent who accuses God's people would be fully, finally crushed. The dragon who tries to silence God's gospel would be fully, finally slayed. And just as God has promised, it arrives in all of its inevitability. Now certainly, throughout the history that we read about between God and his people, there are moments when this day has been foreshadowed. Evil kings that oppose God, evil nations that persecute his people, they've been defeated. But here... In Revelation chapter 16 is the full day of his wrath. The day of God's full judgment on his enemies in all of its dread, in all of its terror. And it is supposed to be an arresting moment for us as we read it. Revelation takes this moment very seriously, as should we. But let's remember that God's people, those who have conquered the beast, as they know the gospel, believe the gospel, and follow Jesus, God's people have been removed from the firing line of all of this. Not because they were less deserving of God's wrath or had somehow earned a free pass, but because in the worship war that we've seen throughout Revelation, They have been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. They have been forgiven by Jesus and brought by him into the safety of God's presence. See, Jesus has taken this very same wrath that we read about upon himself. God's people have been sheltered from the seven bowls of God's wrath by the blood of Jesus. Which makes sense of why God chooses this moment after his people have been gathered to himself to fully finish what he began in the second harvest that we saw last week in Revelation. His anger and his wrath are very specifically poured out on his enemies. Not because he's showing favoritism, But because for God's people, 
The price has already been paid. Wrath has already been placed on the Lamb, Jesus. He has taken it for his people. And so as a result, they will not meet God's wrath on the final day. And so as a Christian reading this, if that's you sitting here this evening or listening online, be encouraged. Be overwhelmingly thankful that Jesus has taken this wrath that we'll study together upon himself. Judgment is done, as we sang. Atonement is made, the ransom is paid, and no guilt remains. However, for those who have not yet accepted this substitution, the rescue that the Lamb offers, they will meet the full measure of God's wrath, and it will be terrible. It will be dreadful. And that leads us on to our our next section, covering more or less the rest of chapter 16. We've seen that God's wrath is poured out on his enemies. And here in chapter 16, we see very clearly God's wrath in all of its destruction, in all of its severity, but also in its measure and also in its justice. See, what we see in this sequence of seven, the the seven bowls, yes, is similar to what we've seen in the seven cycles in, or the cycles of seven, rather, in Revelation. But this time, there are a few significant, important differences. So in previous cycles, we've seen ongoing judgments and then one final judgment that seems to kind of point forwards towards these chapters here. Whereas with the bowls here in chapter 16, things are immediate, they're destructive, they're severe. It seems to be much, much more intense. It seems to be much more dangerous. And again, in previous cycles, we've seen a a certain proportion or a certain percentage of the earth that kind of felt the full effect of God's judgment while the rest were spared. So we've seen in previous judgments only, for example, one quarter of the earth being affected by a particular seal or one third of mankind being affected by a particular trumpet. Whereas here... Any mention of that is conspicuous by its absence. It seems like nobody is able to escape. This is no longer a preview. This is the full measure of God's wrath. It is at full volume and it is fully inescapable. So the first bowl, verse 2, creates harmful and painful sores upon the people who bore the mark of the beast and worshipped its image. In verses 3 and 4, every living thing dies in the sea, the rivers, and the springs when they're all turned to blood. Verse 8, the sun is allowed to scorch people with fire. And then in verse 10, darkness 
plunges the whole kingdom of Satan into panic, anxiety, confusion, blindness. And that's supposed to call to mind, it's supposed to remind us of the plagues in Exodus that God placed upon the forces that opposed him, that oppressed his people in Egypt thousands of years ago. We're supposed to think back to that particular time. But as we're starting to see and understand clearly, whilst in the judgment on Pharaoh there is some sort of relief, the plagues last a short while, the Lord relents. This time, there is no relenting. God wants us to truly understand just how destructive this day truly will be. And as we draw to the the sixth and the seventh bowl, we near the completion of God's wrath. And so in verse 12 of chapter 16, as the sixth bowl is poured out to dry up the river Euphrates, the great river Euphrates, what we see is that in order to oppose the Lord, the the dragon and all of the, the forces that have historically stood against the Lord, who have stood throughout the revolution against revelation against his people they all assemble they all gather to make war against the lamb and against his armies so god has gathered his people to himself in chapter 14 and now it seems satan is kind of gathering his forces to himself God's enemies might be thinking here that the drying up of a river like that is a chance for the kings from the east to to gather together with the rest of Satan and his forces. Perhaps they're going to gather together to seize some sort of numerical advantage. And so they, they assemble together at the place, verse 16, called Armageddon. And that's just the location in the Old Testament where on a number of occasions God's people would have fought against their enemies, against the nations that stood against them. And so once more, God's enemies gather here, ready to fight, willing to slaughter those that follow Jesus, refusing to bend the knee, unwilling to acknowledge the Lord's power or supremacy, and they are met with the seventh bowl of God's wrath. So verse 17, read with me. The seventh angel poured out his bowl into the air and a loud voice came out of the temple from the throne saying, it is done. And there were flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder and a great earthquake such as there had never been since man was on the earth. So great was that earthquake The great city was split into three parts and the cities of the nations fell. And God remembered Babylon the great to make her drain the cup of the wine of the fury of his wrath. And every island fled away. No mountains were to be found. Great hailstones, about 100 pounds each, fell from heaven on people. And they cursed God for the plague was so severe. The voice from the throne thunders the words, it is done. The announcement from God himself is that the work of final judgment is here. It cannot be undone. 
and it comes in an unequaled fury. The great city, Babylon, symbolic of all who oppose God and all who oppress his people, is so severely struck as she drinks the full measure of God's wrath that she splits open into three parts. The earthquake levels the cities of the nations, collapsed under the full weight and measure of God's judgment. The great earthquake that had never been seen since man was on the earth levels the mountains and the islands as both melt away under God's wrath. The kingdom of Satan is dismantled, quite literally decreated by God in his judgment. And so we must understand that it is destructive. We must understand that it is severe. But we must also understand that God's wrath is measured and just. Listen again to the announcement from the angels in verse 5. The angel of the waters says, Just are you, O holy one, who is and who was. For you brought these judgments. They have shed the bloods of saints and prophets you have given them blood to drink it is what they deserve and i heard the altar saying yes lord god the almighty true and just are your judgments our god is not a petty god throwing the toys out of the pram when not quite enough people for his liking have followed him. Our God is not a mean, spiteful God who randomly judges those that he dislikes on a whim on a particular day or week. This is not a knee-jerk reaction from a God with a short temper. This is a righteous judge laying out the deserved and just sentence for the sins of the nations as they have slaughtered those that follow Jesus. God's destructive and severe wrath is poured out in a measured, just way on his enemies, on those who have shed the blood of his people, the saints and the prophets, and it is what they deserve. Of course, God is right to feel indignant at the persecution of his church. He's a good, kind, and loving father. Of course he's going to feel that way about his people. Of course he's going to feel this strongly about those that have opposed them. The cries of mercy from the lips of his people have risen to his throne. And he will rescue them. He will judge his enemies. See, any notion that I may have of this being unfair of God's wrath being on the extreme side or on the harsh side, a punishment which just doesn't quite fit the crime. If I feel that way, that simply means that I haven't understood the indignation and the anger that the Lord feels when his people are persecuted and his gospel is silenced. 
And it is very, very good news that our God acts in response to the slaughter of his people. It is very, very good news that God will judge the persecution of his gospel messengers and his gospel message. Humanity has ignored his voice, broken his rules, abused the creation in which we live, murdered his son, murdered his people for generations. Now, I don't know what the appropriate response, sentence, judgment is for these things. But I do trust that our righteous God does. And it is what we see before us in Revelation chapter 16. See, we must understand that ignoring or rejecting God is the most eternally serious and disastrous thing that any single one of us could ever do. It carries out the most destructive and severe justice that the Lord could possibly lay out. And that takes us on to the, the third thing for us to focus on this evening, and with this I, I close. We've seen God's wrath poured out on his enemies. We've glimpsed something of the destructive yet measured, severe yet just nature of God's wrath. And now we move on to the third and final section this evening. See, there are, there are two possible reactions to everything that we've seen in these verses. When it comes to the wrath of God, there can be no sitting on the fence. In verses 9, 11, and then again in verse 21, 18 to 21, as the full and final bowl of God's wrath is poured onto the earth. Those that are not gathered to God curse him. They experience the full measure of God's wrath and they curse the God of heaven. Their staunch, stubborn refusal to repent and to worship him deepens and darkens. And it's yet another throwback to the plagues on the nation of Egypt in Exodus, where we see Pharaoh's hearts harden, the hearts of the oppressive Egyptians harden. And that's what we see here again in chapter 16. See, Pharaoh's, Pharaoh's choice is simple in Exodus. God offers him salvation or judgment. And as his heart is resolutely hardened, as he meets God's wrath, his persistent rebellion against God continues, persists. And it's the same scenario in Revelation chapter 16, except as we've seen, it is much, much worse. There's no question of whether or not God exists by this stage. Instead, it's a deliberate, stubborn refusal to bow the knee to God. To the point where, chapter 16, verse 10, people would much rather chew off their own tongues than repent and follow Jesus. It really is a tragic response. And we are right to lament every time we see it. But we should never be surprised. We should never be surprised when we see it in our friends, in our family, 
and in our world. But the other response, verse 15, is to stay awake. Read verse 15 with me. Behold, the Lord says, I am coming like a thief. Blessed is the one who stays awake, keeping his garments on, that he may not go about naked and be seen exposed. It's a very similar command given to God's people again in Exodus as they prepare to leave Egypt. God's judgment was about to fall on the nation of Egypt and God's people are told to be ready. They're told to be prepared. They're told to make sure that they're protected under the blood of the Lamb and they're told to be dressed and ready to be rescued from the wrath and justice of God. And the message to to God's people today hasn't changed at all. See, in our walk with Jesus, this side of eternity, we are not to spiritually ready ourselves for slumber. Instead, we are to spiritually ready ourselves, fully clothed, fully alert, because this day is coming. We will be rescued from God's wrath. And Jesus says, be ready be alert, keep going. So those are the two choices that face us all as we listen to Revelation chapter 16 this evening. Meet God's wrath and curse him or instead ready ourselves for his rescue. And so as we wrap up, here are just some of the the implications for us as a church individually and and corporately and for anybody else who's, who's listening in online. Firstly, God's wrath will meet God's enemies. It's not a possibility. It's not a threat. It's inevitable. The opposition that we feel as his people in the worship wars will not go on forever. There will come a day when God says, enough. He will stay true to his word. He will bring opposition to an end. So Christian, whether you're in Iran, as we were praying for earlier on, or you're in Edinburgh, keep going. Endure. The persecution you face and feel will not last forever. Second, these verses stop me from misunderstanding how powerful, how fearful, and how steady God's wrath is. So these verses stop me from either twisting God into a vengeful, mean, cold, distant judge. But they also stop me from turning him into a nice, fluffy, sedate God that doesn't really mind If his people suffer, he doesn't really mind if his laws are ignored. Revelation chapter 16 won't let me think either of these things about God. He is not embarrassed about his wrath. Neither should we be. As we live our lives, 
as we share the news of this with others. This should shape our understanding of who he is and what he will one day do. Which then leads me on to the third thing for us to consider this evening. I, I do feel a discomfort as I read these verses. I don't feel a discomfort because I think God is overreacting. I don't feel a discomfort because I think that this could be my fate as a Christian. I know with gospel certainty that it is not. I feel a discomfort because I still have friends and family that, as things stand, sneer, curse, and will meet the full measure of God's wrath. So these verses are not only an explanation, they're not only a declaration of what will happen, but they are a flashing warning light. A flashing warning light for me to continue to share the gospel. The only way through which any of us could ever be saved from God's wrath. And then fourthly, and with this I am finished, these verses are also a flashing warning light to anyone who has currently not asked Jesus for forgiveness. If that is you here tonight or listening in, you are on a collision course with everything that is mentioned here. You are staring up at the seven bowls of God's wrath. And my plea to you this evening is this. Swap sides in the worship war. We don't know when this day will come. We do know how awful it will be for those who continue to oppose the Lord, to ignore him. Don't let that be you. Choose to follow the victorious king, the lamb who was slain for us, the lamb who offers to step in and take the judgment, take the wrath that we deserve. That is the offer that faces every single one of us this evening. Let me pray for us as we close. Father, thank you that you do not sugarcoat the nature of your judgments or your wrath against the sins of your people, nor those that don't yet know you. Father, thank you that in Jesus, you have poured the wrath that your people deserve onto him so that we never need to endure it ourselves. Father, as we study this chapter this evening, help us to deepen in our appreciation for what it is that you have done for us. Help us to deepen in our appreciation for what Jesus has done. And Father, please, we pray and ask that the gospel message of rescue from your wrath that you so generously make to us, Father, please, would that be on our lips and would it be in our hearts? Would we be quick to share it with others and would we be quick to believe it ourselves? Father, for those that don't yet know you, please soften their hearts to help them see really clearly that your wrath is inevitable, that it is destructive, that it is severe, but it need not be their eternity. Please help them to trust in your son and everything that he has done. And it's in his name that we pray for all of these things. Amen.